Welcome to Private Banking Strategies Podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks, your secret weapon to protect your assets and never have to start over financially again. Vance and Seth help high net worth individuals, families, business owners, and investors structure an asset-protected, tax-free fortress for their families. Learn how to keep what you earn and use the velocity of money to create your own private banking system. Join us on this journey as we explore the secret strategies of the rich and political elite and help you take total control of your financial security. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Private Banking Strategies with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. Seth, how are you today? Doing great, Eric. Thank you for having us. Oh, well, they, uh, come on. This is your podcast, man. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Vance, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, Eric. It's great to be on. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Seth, we have a guest on the show. This is your first guest on the show. I'm so excited. It's a gentleman that I've met before, and he's going to be fantastic. So you want to introduce him to the audience? Absolutely. We're super excited to have Andy Sheckman with Miles Franklin on our podcast today. And the genesis of this invitation comes from our clientele asking about where to put their cash value in an inflationary parabolic culture. And so we're seeing hikes in food, hikes in prices of gas. And I think it's a, a pretty common understanding that we're in an inflationary period. And so our clients who have cash value and ha don't have it invested in something are looking for places to hedge and to be safe and not lose purchasing power. And I think that Andy provides some awesome opportunities for private banking strategies, clients and others who want to diversify and hedge. Well, I, I guess that means I'm supposed to say something, here, so I'll jump in. <laughs> Seth, thank you. I, I really do appreciate Eric. First of all, thank you, Eric. It's nice to chat with you again, even uh, albeit uh, in the background. So nice to chat with you again. And Vance, I, I appreciate being here as well. Very, well, Andy, very much. Before, Andy, before you start, let me just do a little preface here, if I could, with with some of the clients. Give, uh, give us a little bit of background to go on and some reasoning uh, behind this. Just like Seth was saying, our clients are always, you know, looking for places to, to do investments so that are safe, put their money to work. And right now, the inflation question is huge. In the past, we had dealt with precious metals a little bit with some of the major companies. But it seemed like we didn't get full disclosure, or they said they would uh, provide certain things. And uh, your background and what you guys do, you know, it's just, there's just no question. The professionalism, everything that happens is just, it's just always right there. And so we're trying to provide to our clients a little bit of background and research on our part to be able to bring you on and say, hey, guys, I want you to really take uh, a listen here to see what he has to offer. And this might just really be an answer to some of your questions and something that you might be able to do. So, Andy, we really, really do appreciate everything that you've done. And we're really looking forward to some of the things that you're going to tell us and, and maybe how to get it done. Awesome. I appreciate that as well, Vance. Uh, just for, you know, the edification of your listeners, just a brief 
synopsis of, of who I am and who we are. My father and I started this company together in 1989, 33 years ago nearly. We have done over $7 billion in transactions without ever receiving a customer complaint. And I always tell my clients to try to find one on Google. We're very proud of the fact that we've yet to find one in any industry, let alone an industry that is as personal, if you will, and emotional as physical precious metals. You've been in this industry long enough. You certainly know what I'm talking about. We are one of only 24 United States Mint authorized resellers, an honor that I'm probably most proud of in my 33-year career is our accreditation by the U.S. Mint. It's an honor that doesn't come very easily, something that we work very hard to achieve and have proudly worn that badge for over a decade now. On top of that, we, um, my corporate office. Now, I live in Florida. I moved here a year ago out of the madness in Minneapolis after the George Floyd passing and the ensuing craziness that led me to Florida. But I left my office, my corporate office in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for a very distinct reason. And that is that the precious metals industry, guys, is federally non-regulated. It's akin to the Wild West, if you will. As a result, there has been a lot of fraud and theft, several hundred million dollars, really, at least 200 million that I can for sure speak to from a handful of the biggest companies in the country, most of them online over the last several years. And so as a result, the state of Minnesota handful of years ago, adopted bonding, licensing, and regulations akin to the securities industry. And they're the only state in the United States that uh, mandates it, whether you are domiciled in the state as a corporate entity, as my company, Miles Franklin is, or whether you live in another state in the country and sell into the state of Minnesota, you damn well better be licensed or you're going to have a big problem with regulators. And as a result, almost every company in the United States has boycotted the state of Minnesota because if it's the only state that requires bonding alone, which is a financial disclosure commitment to the nth degree for the owners, on top of continuing education, licensing, and background checks of everyone in the company, myself included, every year. It's somewhat onerous, if you will, from a, a business ownership standpoint, but it really holds us to a much, much higher standard in this federally non-regulated industry. So I guess what I would say to sum it up is on top of having what I proudly believe to be the best reputation in this precious metal space, doing business with us is undoubtedly the safest because of our U.S. Mint regulation, excuse me, U.S. Mint accreditation, and also our state of Minnesota licensing and bonding. So it is from that standpoint that we move forward. I would like to just lay out one other piece of, I don't know, call it the way that I look at things before we start. As I mentioned, I started this company with my father. He's long since retired, but when we started the company, he said to me, Andy, there's going to be one rule and only one rule or I'll fire you. And as a 19-year-old kid who wanted to, to be a baseball player at the University of Minnesota before I hurt myself, I could deal with one rule. I mean, at that point, but heck, what's one rule? So that one rule was that I would buy something every two weeks. I said, Dad, if that's the only rule, I'm, I'm okay with that. As I mentioned, he's long since retired but I have honored my commitment to him for 33 years. He's not going to fire me any longer, but I have honored that commitment to him. Every two weeks, I have purchased something 
for 33 years, and I have never missed a two-week period ever. For me, accumulating gold and silver is not an investment, not even a little bit. It's wealth. It's been wealth that has outlived two world wars, German hyperinflation, the Great Depression, and every pandemic. And so it is from that standpoint that our conversation should move forward so that when people are listening to my advice, take it for what it is, in terms of why or how to own gold and silver, please understand that to me, you are buying wealth. You are not making an investment. Now, it very well may perform like a heck of an investment, but I want people to understand that I look at this as wealth that I hope I never need to use. If I do, I'm damn glad I have it. And it's not just for an emergency. It could be an opportunity. We can discuss what those opportunities would potentially look like down the road. But if not, I'll pass it on to my children through my estate outside of probate. And uh, so I just think it's important to understand that I'm not here trying to sell an investment or anything to anyone. What I'm here to talk about is an intimate relationship that I have with precious metals in the respect of wealth accumulation. And uh, with that being said, I'll turn it over to you guys, Vance and Seth, and follow your lead. Well, so you, you, go ahead, Seth. I was going to say you you have you're the absolute example of dollar cost averaging. Then, hi, Andy. You, you, uh, and, and I guess that frames it in the context of an investment, which you said that's not your paradigm. I I agree. It's a wealth accumulation, but no matter the price, you've just consistently continued to purchase by by weekly. Yeah, there there's no better way to smooth out the uncertainty curve than to cost average over a long period of time. But, you know, I mean, in reality, it's really easy to spend money. And the older you get and the more successful you get, you understand that. And But it's not easy per se. I mean, don't get me wrong. Precious metals are incredibly liquid, maybe more so than anything. But it does take a modicum of effort. And so it not only is it accumulation of wealth, it lends itself to savings, to accumulation. And it's not easy to click. It's not as easy as clicking a mouse button or pulling out a piece of plastic or taking cash out of the bank. It's just one of these things that allows you to continue to save and put money away, to put wealth away uh, in a form that for 5,000 years has been viewed as wealth. And in terms of In times of great uncertainty like this, I take great comfort and haven't lost any sleep, even though I know I could have made more money in other areas. I haven't lost any sleep because I feel really sound about the foundational qualities that gold and silver possess, especially in these times that I'm sure we're going to get into and talk about now. Okay, let me jump in here. So... Andy, what I think our audience is really going to be interested in is having you walk us through of how to get involved. You know, if we're a neophyte, somebody just trying to to get involved, we've heard that gold and precious metals are a good thing to be in. How do we look at this? How do we do our research? Is this something if I have $500 I want to get into, or do I need a minimum threshold? Throw in a bunch of little questions, but kind of started dipping into this process of how our clients can, if it's every two weeks, like you're doing, if it's some way that they could uh, buy on a regular basis, great. So walk us through this, will you? I mean, the answer is yes to all of your questions. I mean, 
you can buy it any way you want. And I don't think the amount really matters. I think people of, of all means should own precious metals in their portfolio. And if that means $500 or $5 million, it really doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. I think the first thing, and that's why I was very succinct about saying that this is wealth to me. I think you have to uh, delineate what your intentions are. Are they to profit or are they to preserve wealth? So is it a profit motivation as an investment, or are you looking to uh, wealth preservation and the qualities that precious metals offer in that respect. And then from that, I think it's easier to identify how you should move forward. I guess I'll give you an example. <clears throat> a lot of people over the last couple of years have expressed great interest uh, and anxiety over the way things are progressing, whether it be political or geopolitical or economical, or even morally or socially, or even spiritually. I hear all sorts of reasons why people want to purchase precious metals. And some people are in much more of a hurry to get their position in place. And so there's nothing wrong with cost averaging. I believe it to be, like I said, the greatest way to smooth out uncertainty. But if you're late to the game and you're concerned about where we are, I think it's very important to probably not cost average because what we are seeing is an expansion of interest globally into precious metals. And with that expansion and with the supply chain distortions, as interest has increased four or five fold from what I have been used to my whole career, the supply and the inability to source readily product has decreased almost proportionally with the increase in demand. And you know, as a U.S. Mint authorized reseller, the Silver Eagles are a good example. If you would have called me the day before Thanksgiving 2019, not knowing that your world was going to be thrown into chaos a few weeks later, and you asked me how much some Silver Eagles would cost you, I would have told you $3.39 over the price of silver. And if you said, what will you buy those back for? I'd say $2.65 over. So roughly a 65 to 70 cents spread between buy and sell. If you would have bought those silver coins and then decided to sell them four months, five months later in March of 2020, I would have paid you $11 over the price of silver. So what I'm getting at is that we are entering a period of time or have already entered a period of time where volatility um, and instability has increased. And this is not just a North American phenomenon. You know, in the US and in Canada, in North America, we have the two primary mints, United States Mint, North America, and Royal Canadian Mint, North America. Everything else is across the Atlantic. You've got the UK Mint, you've got the Australian Mint, you have the Austrian Mint, the South African Mint. So you have about six primary mints, two-thirds of which are outside the United States. And when you look at what's happening, you got to go back to World War II to see inflation anywhere near where it is here right now and in Europe. And so you have an understanding between sanctions and inflation globally, the importance of owning precious metals. And it's never been more difficult to get. And mostly silver is what is 
becoming harder and harder to get. Now, don't get me wrong. We did 600 million in sales last year. So we ended up getting the product, but I'm telling you, premiums have never been this high, nor have delivery delays or difficulty in getting product. It's akin to buying a firearm to protect your family. I think depending upon where you believe we are in the cycle, you don't buy a gun and then wait for bullets to go on sale to purchase them. I think you buy a gun, you buy enough bullets to make you feel comfortable, and then you cost average at that point forward. In other words, developing a core position is really very important, I think. And where we are right now, you could argue maybe it's more important to be a little bit less concerned about cost averaging and a little bit more concerned about developing a core position if you don't have one. However, we are happy to work with any client, any size, and on any time frame or time schedule that they have. Do you see yourself in that story? Do you feel like you are generating a lot of revenue but are not moving forward as fast as you would like? Are you ready for help? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com. Andy, let me ask you this. With the inflationary culture that we're experiencing and runaway pricing on stuff, many of our clients have come to us and said, we need some type of investment to put our money to work. Our purchasing power is getting cut in half quickly. And what's going to happen next year and the year after that? So can talk to us about precious metals as a hedge and how you see the future for inflation in America in the coming years. I love the question. I, I don't mean to put you on the spot either, Seth, but I'm going to ask you a question. And please know that I have maybe one person that I ask this question to every single day. I ask people this question every single day. What makes the dollar the world reserve currency? Do you know the answer to that? I'm going to say oil and gas. You are a smart man. You might be maybe number two of all the people that I've asked that question to in in the better part of the last several months. And I do, I make a a very strong point of asking that question to to really encapsulate and answer the the question that you just asked me, because it all centers around that. After World War II, the dollar was the world reserve currency because it was pegged to gold. And Towards the tail end of the Vietnam War, President de Gaulle of France realized that the U.S. was printing more dollars and issuing more treasuries than there was gold behind it at the treasury. So he sent warships over from France filled with dollars to New York Harbor demanding gold, and he was given it, bleeding over half of the gold from the treasury down to the supposed 8,300 metric tons that we have right now, although it hasn't been audited in the past 60 years nearly. At that point, President Nixon closed the gold window in August of 1971, breaking our promise to the world and severing the relationship between gold and the US dollar, making it completely fiat. It was three years later that Henry Kissinger flew to Saudi Arabia in 1974 and made a deal with the Saudis saying, hey, we'll protect you. We'll provide you joint military cooperation we've got your back. We'll sell you arms and we'll protect you and we'll do the whole nine yards. For that, you're going to value oil globally in dollars. 
And, and it's been this way since 1974. Dollars have been exclusively the currency of OPEC. And so every single country on the planet Earth has to own dollars as the world reserve currency in order to buy oil as the petrodollar. Every single country on the planet Earth has to have dollars in order to buy oil. And so it has created this massive synthetic demand for the U.S. dollar. Now, I'm going to touch a little bit on the Federal Reserve towards the tail end of the answer of this question, because I think the real inflation has yet to even be thought about. And you, you talk about a Fed that, that says we're going to get tough on inflation. And they raise the the federal funds rate by 50 basis points to three quarters of 1% with inflation at 9%. They say they're going to sell off their balance sheet to get tough on inflation, yet they're going to wait till June. If they really wanted to get tough on inflation, they would have raised it instead of dicking around with a 50 basis point increase, maybe a 500 point, 500 basis point increase or 5%. Maybe they would have sold off their balance sheet after they told us it wasn't transitory after all inflation. They're not really in a position to do what they say they're going to do about inflation, which I believe is only going to get much worse. And here's the reason why. In September of 2021, when we left Afghanistan with our tail between our legs, the day after that, something happened. And I have been screaming on every podcast I've done since then. That was the biggest event of of my career, of most of our lives. And that is that Russia signed a joint military cooperation agreement with Saudi Arabia. Let me just say that one more time. Russia signed a joint military cooperation agreement with Saudi Arabia. The day after that, they signed the exact same agreement with Nigeria. The day after that, they came on and announced that they had uh, hypersonic ICBMs on their submarines and the State Department quickly came out and said, this is something we are very concerned about. We do not possess this technology. These are missiles that travel many times the speed of sound and hit the ground at the speed of a, an asteroid. And it's a big, it's a big difference. And that was their way of saying, don't mess with us. Anyways, that to me was the beginning of the end of the dollar as the singular world reserve currency. And subsequently, our Fed chairman, Powell, has come out and said there is room in the world for more than one world reserve, almost acquiescing to this. Anyways, I believe the Fed is looking for a scapegoat. And if you want to find a scapegoat, what better way than to weaponize the U.S. dollar, push the Russians out of SWIFT into the open arms of the Chinese, who have created something called SIPS, the cross-interbank payment system, very much similar to SWIFT. And I believe they are sort of forming a coalition of BRICS nations that want to stand up to dollar hegemony. And all of them are wondering in one way or another, whether they verbalize it or not, are we next? Are we the next country to have our assets frozen, to be kicked out of SWIFT? And and I think that this is incentivized and hastened the, the exodus out of the dollar and ultimately its demise. Let me continue. So subsequently from this announcement in September of 2021, Just a few weeks ago, Nigeria, the second largest OPEC producing country in the world, made an agreement with China to sell their oil in Yuan. Let me say that one more time. China agreed to sell their oil in Yuan. 
excuse me, and us, Nigeria agreed to sell their oil in Yuan. This is a massive departure from anything we've seen in 50 years. And this Yuan payment is what's called the Chinese Petro Yuan bond. That bond is immediately convertible into the Shanghai Gold Exchange for gold. This Shanghai Gold Exchange is a perfect substitute for the COMEX market, and it may end up actually one day being just that. And the day after that, or a few days after that, Saudi Arabia came out and said, we are in negotiations with China to do the exact, to do the exact same thing. And I believe they have. So you have Saudi Arabia and you have Nigeria being protected by Russia selling their oil for yuan, which means you are also being protected by China because China has embarked upon the Belt Road Initiative. Let's not forget about that. The largest infrastructure project in human history, connecting 75% of human population. And mind you guys, I am going somewhere with this. I'm going to get to your inflation question, but you have to lay the foundation to answer what I think is really going to happen. Anyways, this program called the Chinese Belt Road Rail Initiative, the largest in human history, is connecting Asia and Africa between bridges and railways and maritime channels and other forms of connection, even digitally, which is a big boon for silver when you're talking 75% of human population. But they've also been doing this with the Chinese digital yuan. Over 8 billion in transactions have settled on this currency since 2021, and Nigeria is part of this. So declaring any type of action against Nigeria and or Saudi Arabia would be akin to starting World War III. Now, when you talk about the dollar hegemony being broken, the first crack in this hegemony was the agreement to be protected by Russia for Saudi Arabia. After all, it is the protection of the Saudi kingdom that has made the dollar the world reserve currency, period, since 1974. So go back to the Fed. They tell us they're serious about inflation, right? But they're not, because if they were, they would have done what Paul Volcker did and raised interest rates above the rate of inflation. That's how you get serious. But they know that if they do that, there's a problem. What's that problem? The problem is that over 60% of every dollar ever created in the history of the United States has been done in the last two years. And all of that money, or a good portion of it, I should say, has created massive distortions and misallocations in resources and capital and distortions in price discovery in real estate, in stocks, and in bonds. And they have reached all-time highs accumulated at the lowest interest rates, really, in human history. So you have, as the Austrian economics call it, the crack-up boom taking place, where massive expansion in capital leads to distortions in credit, leads to distortions and misallocations of capital. It's exactly what we're seeing, where house prices can double in a year, where people's 401ks have doubled in a couple of years. But that's not when 2008, the Fed balance sheet was 800 billion. Now it's 9 trillion. This is courtesy of massive injection of money, low interest rates, quantitative easing, and massive stimulation to the economy. And that's about to end in many ways. So whether we take the Fed at their word and say, okay, they're going to continue to raise by 50 basis points every, every meeting, 
which is kind of spitting in the ocean when you realize you have 9% inflation, which by the way, excludes food, energy, and housing. In 1980, they used to calculate it a different way. If you go to shadowstats.com, John Williams will show you the way they really calculate it now. But anyways, so my answer to you is this. I think if the Fed wants to blow everything up, they can do that. They can raise rates and do it quickly. They're not going to. They can sell off their balance sheet as they've promised 60 or 80 billion a month. And they're really not even doing that either. What they're doing is letting the bonds on their balance sheet mature. And instead of renewing them, they're just letting them fall off 60 to 80 billion a month. But all of that is going to have consequences. But more importantly than that is what's happening in Saudi Arabia. If we wake up one morning to find OPEC saying, we've decided to open up the sale of oil in other currencies, because maybe they feel, are we next? Maybe the Saudis are thinking, are we next? And if they do that, because they're now being protected by Russia and China, how fast do you see things getting out of control? I see it happening overnight, where there's 7 billion people outside the West, and every one of those governments have to hold dollars to buy oil. And what happens when all of those dollars get dumped because they no longer need to purchase oil in dollars? Those dollars come crashing onto the shores of the US. If you think inflation is bad now, watch what happens to the rate of inflation when three quarters of the world starts dumping dollars because they no longer need to take it to buy oil any longer. Andy, what do you think the time frame for that devaluation and perhaps complete catastrophe implosion would be? I mean, I think it could happen any day. And honest to God, I never would have said this. You got this Klaus Schwab saying the great reset, you'll own nothing and like it. And I remember when he said that, I thought that's just a joke. I mean, come on, think about it. Think about how this could be set up. You print more money in two years than in the history of the United States. And a lot of that money goes to hedge funds, as an example, who borrow it at next to nothing, plow it into equities and real estate and bonds and cryptocurrencies, mind you, making a fortune. Those those loans are paid back so easily. They make huge bonuses. They've created all of these distortions. And then you weaponize the dollar. You kick Russians out of SWIFT. You incentivize them to find alternatives like SIPs. And through all of this, our biggest, our wild card, what what makes the dollar is being challenged right now by the Saudis. They are, in essence, you can see they are moving away from the dollar as the petrodollar. So the fact that they've signed the agreements with China the fact that it's actually happening right now, you see Russia doing the same thing. I think what will happen is this. I would not be surprised to see that announcement being made. Now, remember, the Chinese have already done $8 billion in transactions on the digital yuan. But one of the things that I did not mention that's very important is that in 2019, April, the Bank of International Settlements reclassified gold as the world's only other tier one reserve asset as it pertains to central banking. Gold is the only other tier one reserve. The first or the only other tier one reserve are US dollars and treasuries. And it's been that way, I don't know, since the end of World War II. So think about this. Who's been the largest producers and accumulators of gold in the world? 
for years and years ago. That would be the Russians, the Chinese, and the Indians. So all of that gold they've accumulated, and Alistair McLeod believes they have over 38,000 metric tons, which would be nearly five times what we supposedly have. That's just China. All of that gold has been accumulated at subsidized prices as the price has been kept low by the Western banks because it they didn't want to shine a light on the frailty of the Western system. So they would manipulate gold with levered futures contracts on Comex. And so the East didn't care about that. They were accumulating it. China, Russia, India, they're all accumulating it. And it was reclassified the world's only other tier one reserve. So think about it. All of these pieces being put into place. The Chinese have the Shanghai Gold Exchange, which takes the place of the COMEX. The Chinese have the Chinese Petro Yuan bond, which they'll use in settlement for energy. So if you don't want to own Yuan for your energy, you can convert it into gold immediately and take possession of it. The Chinese have the digital Yuan, where 8 billion of transactions have already taken place, and they have built the largest infrastructure project in human history, connecting 7 out of 10 people on the globe. And the U.S. isn't part of it. These roads and bridges and maritime channels that they're building will only be used by military and commerce. So the military will protect the trucks and the ships that are uh, floating and driving and the trains. Everything will be protected by military and it will will be the Panama Canal on steroids and the U.S. isn't part of it. So three quarters of the world's population is being indoctrinated into a new digital currency by the largest accumulators and producers of gold in the world, the world's only other tier one reserve asset other than US dollars. And they are being coalesced, almost forced into a coalition by the US's own actions through sanctions and through weaponizing the dollar and the destruction of the value of the dollar. And the fact that the world can now see that the Fed is impotent If they want to get tough on inflation, then they sure have a stupid way of going about it. Because getting tough on inflation is what Paul Volcker did. And he raised the federal funds rate to 19 and three quarters percent in 1980. If they would have raised interest rates to 9% last week instead of three quarters of 1%, what do you think the stock market would have done? What do you think the bond market would have done? Lost 90% of its value, 98%? How about the real estate market with 15, 16, 17% 30-year mortgages? You see, they can't get tough on inflation. But if you want to talk about your Klaus Schwab reset moment where you'll own nothing and be happy, think of this. All of those assets that have blown up, stocks, bonds, and real estate, are inversely correlated to what? A rise in rates. How do you get that rate rise without taking the blame. I'll tell you how. You incentivize the world to move in a different direction. You weaponize the dollar. You push the Russians out of SWIFT. You destroy the value of the dollar over two years through massive printing. You blow up all assets. And then comes the big bang. And that is when OPEC says, we're being protected by Russia and China. We've decided to open up currencies all currencies or a handful of currencies, yuan and ruble and yen and rupee and whatever, euro, not just dollars. And overnight, those dollars come flooding home, which creates hyperinflation, which is going to push rates to the moon. When that happens, in a matter of minutes, you vaporize everything. 
There's your great reset. And then they come in with their new central bank digital currency. But the East, I believe they will join together on the heels or on the back of the petro, I mean, the digital yuan, which has already been proven for two years that it works, or almost two years that it works. And they will all pledge a tremendous amount of gold and they will peg it using distributed ledger technology, showing the gold, the immutability of it. They won't let it be convertible because de Gaulle from France proved that convertible currencies convert, but they will peg it. And I think they will use distributed ledger technology. They'll come out and say, we're using it so you can see the gold. But in essence, there are other monetary reasons at the central banks. It's like a central banker's wet dream having a digital currency for the ability to conduct monetary a policy directly to the end user, but more to the point, also being able to, you know, remove all privacy and have their fingertips on everything. But the West, I believe, will then experience a religious experience. Those dollars come flooding home, pushing interest rates straight up, making massive inflation. And it's the first time where all three of these asset classes are inversely correlated at the same time to a rise in rates. Stocks and bonds used to be inversely correlated. They've lost that inverse correlation. It used to be called risk on, risk off. That's why you have a 60-40 split between stocks and bonds by almost every advisory on the planet. It's because they were inversely correlated, not anymore. They've lost their inverse correlation. And when rates rise, they all implode. And so how do you reset the clock? How do you throw the monopoly board up in the air and start over and be happy and rent? That is exactly how you blow asset prices up to the moon. You incentivize three quarters of the world to move away from the dollar, and they do. And Saudis and Russians and Chinese and Indians, they'll be blamed for it, not the Fed. And the Fed is the one who created the problem. But when that happens and interest rates spike, everything collapses. And that's when you get a company like BlackRock who comes in and scoops up everything on, in the United States at pennies on the dollar. And then they come in and they issue a new digital currency central bank digital currency, and they too will peg it to gold. It is the only way that anyone will ever drink the Kool-Aid ever again, I believe. So when you talk about inflation, and I know I definitely bent the clock on this one, and I apologize, but it's important to understand that if you get blurred by what the Fed is talking about, you're missing the point altogether. The Fed cannot get tough on inflation. They will not get tough on inflation and be responsible for blowing the whole thing up. Most analysts will tell you they expect them to do this a few more times. The market's going to crap the bed and they come in and reverse course and, and go back to accommodating and lowering rates and, and injecting money. But when that happens, that signals the destruction and the end of the US dollar. That, that signals the end of all credibility for the Fed. And so they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. In this case, the Great Reset, I believe, lies squarely in the hands of the Saudis and of OPEC and of the Chinese and the Russians. And if this happens, which I would say there's a better than 50% possibility or probability, you will see inflation many times. If you think supply chain problems are bad now and inflation is bad, wait to see what would happen if the dollar is no longer the petrodollar. Then all hell breaks loose. Andy, that's just 
an amazing foundation that you laid and and setting the stage for what we may be coming into in these coming months and and year. What I'd like to do is in this podcast now and start the second part of our podcast with with a question that I'm, I'll lay foundation for, which is financial privacy in the transaction of purchasing and and selling metals. One of the pillars of the private banking strategies is financial privacy, Andy. And our clients are going to be very concerned and motivated to do things in the most private way possible. So I think you just set the stage perfectly for us in that context and, and looking forward to hearing you again. Awesome. Thank you. All right, gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Andy, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you talk about a foundation. Holy cow. That was uh, impressive and a little scary, to be honest with you. And I know that you're not a peddler of fear. You're spitting so many facts that it makes the mind, it just boggles the mind. It makes me think a lot. And I know that's what every listener is going through right now. So Seth, I'm super excited about this next podcast that you're going to have. Thank you so much for bringing Andy on the show. Vance, I appreciate you also facilitating this. This is just great education for everyone listening. And of course, to you, the listener, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Private Banking Strategies podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Vance and Seth come out with a new podcast, especially part two to this one, it'll show up directly on your listening device. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Private Banking Strategies, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Did that story feel like it was about you? Do you feel you should be making more progress toward your financial goals? Do you feel stuck? Let us help you get unstuck. Are you ready to take action and get your own private bank? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com. Thank you for listening to the Private Banking Strategies Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of private banking strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.